if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Good morning and welcome to the hour number two on the Bob France Authority. I'm Rob Walgate sitting with Dave Zanotti filling in for Bob. The first hour just flew by, went fast. We had a lot of fun. We had a long list of things to get to. I think we got to one of them. And the political uh, enemies list has risen. I'm just thinking of Ronald <laughs> Reagan saying, We are Americans. You notice he doesn't say we're Democrats. Republicans, independents, Martians. He said we're Americans. You know, when we why th- is that so controversial today? Is, is there anything that could happen today that could unite us as Americans? It seems like everything is there to be divisive see, and divide. But see, the, the, this is where the question is asked this way often, but the presumption of the question is incorrect. As an American, you are not born a Republican, Democrat, independent, or partisan of any style. As an American, you are born into a constitutional form of government based upon the civil authority residing in the people, not in the parties. Well, and and I think we're under the impression today that we need to be unanimous in everything to be in agreement with someone. Read the writings of the founders. They disagreed. But I'll tell you something that is almost unanimous. Uh, That's not quite. That's an overstatement. That is certainly a consensus opinion in Ohio. About 13% of the people are registered as Republicans, 17% are registered as Democrats, and over 60% participate in the process completely outside of the party process altogether. The vast majority of people who participate are not partisans, yet we function as if everything works in this matrix. And my question is, take the red pill, man. Get out of the matrix in your mind. Now, it doesn't matter whether you vote as a Republican or vote as a Democrat. Ronald Reagan was a Democrat and became a Republican. I voted in Democrat and Republican primaries, and now I don't vote in primaries at all. You say, well, well, that's stupid. No, no, I do it as a point of example. I realize that I'm surrendering part of my ability and my franchise of influence for the sake of standing as an independent in an independent platform. But as an independent, I can go vote anyone I want to But wait a minute, that, state. that's not a permanent surrender you're making right. because if someone that you believed in was running in the next election as an RRD, you could go and say, I want to align with them. I've done it before, yes. and I'll do it again and everybody should be that kind of a free agent and in ohio most people are the problem is you'll never hear about it because all the money is based upon the parties 
It's the money, baby. Well, it, it, it is the money. And there's a lot of money today behind a movement. That was crass. I'm sorry. It's the money, sir. That was Dave Zanotti speaking. Yes. But see, we have to be people pleasers. This is the problem. By the way, it's one of the reasons why people don't like Donald Trump. Because he's Wait not a minute. You're saying some people don't like Donald Trump? He's is that what you said? People, please. I talked to somebody the other day. He said, I voted for him, but there's no chance in the world to be reelected. I, I, I mean, I, he said, he just, he just ticks everybody off. He's just so uncouth. He's just so, okay, I get it. I, yeah, I get all that. Okay, I don't, I'm not going to, I don't know who I'm going to vote for in the next election. I don't know who's running. Don't, you know, it's, it's plenty of time for all that to be decided. And it doesn't matter who I vote for. It matters who you vote for. But the point is, yeah, Andrew Jackson wasn't a people pleaser either. By the way, for the record, Barack Obama was a brilliant rhetorician, but if you understood the words and studied them, he was no people pleaser. You read his second inaugural address, and he's basically telling a whole lot of people to go blank themselves. A, a spare hall? Yeah, yeah. When you read his words and you interpret them correctly and you study those words, he just was really careful to use language that most people didn't understand was code. But when you decode Barack Obama... He was no people pleaser. He he had glib rhetoric, but he was. I I, I look for words. He was militant in his advocacy for what he believed in. You hit on something, and you talked about the money, and you talked about that's what drives the train. That's what keeps it moving. But you are not advocating, or are you advocating for the removal of money in politics? No, I think we should spend more. As long as we spend more money on toilet paper and coffee than we do electing Congress, we're going to have a pretty bad Congress. We will spend more money on fireworks this 4th of July. On Halloween camp. Than we will to elect the president and Congress next year. Yeah. So until we start to put our money where our mouth is and, and, and empower people to run, and, and what do we mean by running? Look, here's the great news. There are more Jim Jordans out there who can run in essence, as independents build their own organizations and become members of Congress if people will support them. When it comes to members of the House, members of the Senate, that's something we're going to get into a little bit later today. You're listening to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. She says, just like Marie Antoinette, the building remedy for Chris Job and Kennedy. And at a time of limitation, you can't take I'm just watching the faces of Dave Zanotti and Alan Duncan. Alan's the executive producer of the Public Square Radio program. We got the Beach Boys, we got Queen. Andrew yeah. is killing it on yeah. musical selections today. I got loving tell you. it all. Loving you got to be in Cleveland, though, to appreciate this. This is the home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So That's come right. on, you got, right. it's all there. Well, before we went to break, we were talking about money and politics, and there's a lot of money. Some people associate money and politics with only those on the right, <laughs> and the left. <laughs> the left has so much money and spends so much money in politics. Whether you Meet George Soros, yeah, yeah, exactly. So one movement that has gained a lot of money. I know it was discussed earlier this week on Bob's show. Is the National Popular Vote movement the movement that would uh, where states are yes, trying one to, more movement that plays upon our abundant ignorance of the founding? Yes, where states 
would align themselves with the national popular vote. Now, I believe there's constitutional problems that arise with that. I believe there's state law problems that arise with that. Do you want to give any thought or feeling or waste any time <laughs> discussing that? Because in Ohio, it was introduced. Let me take that back. It wasn't introduced. We're fortunate in Ohio to live in a state where we have the ability to change our own laws. And someone came up with a plan and wrote an amendment where they wanted to change the law to allow Ohio's electoral college votes to go with the national popular vote winner. It didn't even get off the ground. The petition was submitted. They were going to get signatures, and then they decided, based on the backlash they received in the first 72 hours, even from some of the uh, that agree with them, the petitions were pulled, and they said, you know what, we're withdrawing that proposal. Well, it's interesting, because I have a copy of David McCullough's book, The Pioneers, that's here. in front of us. It's his latest book, and David is a, is a good friend. we talk more about that in a minute, but, but David talks about the establishment of Ohio, uh, that actually Ohio began in 1787, before America began, in this sense that it was the Continental Congress that wrote the Northwest Ordinance that put basically the commission orders together for developing the territory that would become the next five states of the Union. Then we went through the, through the convention, the ratification process, the establishment of the government, and the Northwest Ordinance became a, a document of the new government. So in essence, we began it as a state in 1803 here in Ohio, but the it was 1787 in the Northwest Ordinance. So all of these conversations that we have about our form of civil government are important because they're classroom opportunities to go back and revisit. And we live in an era where it's been so long since we've taught true history, which is incredibly interesting, encouraging, and inspiring. But it's also a lot of homework. It's easier to use the paragraph edition, the cliff notes, and to amend it according to the current political agenda. But this isn't rock and roll. This is history. All right. And, and so there, there's a reality to all of this that has consequences. So it's always worth talking about these things if it takes us back to understanding why we choose to do it a better way. Now, the one thing the founders did was they knew they were fallen people and they weren't perfect and none of their documents were perfect. So they gave in each of these documents the potential to make them better through an amendment process going forward. They were not narcissists. They were not iconoclasts. They were not people who believed they were infallible. They left with the people the power to change to make it better. But they got a lot of things right. And one of the things they did get right was the Electoral College. Well, you talk about the learning of history and the education and the teaching thereof. And I'm fortunate. Every morning over coffee in the summertime, I get taught history because I receive lectures <laughs> From Mrs. Walgate. And Mrs. Walgate was on fire over D-Day. Yes, she was. The the unfortunate part is many of her lectures begin with, did you know? So so I'm on the spot. So if I say, yeah, I knew, well, her response is, tell me about that. Mm -hmm. But if I say, no, I didn't know, it's, well, how didn't you know that? And then she proceeds to tell me about it. So I'm I'm in a a tight position there. But So the correct answer is, please, tell me more. Yeah, tell me more. Let me learn. About that, um, but as we move towards 2020, I think this national popular vote discussion is going to be something that is going to play into the debates that are coming up. So the Democrats, it, I always get the numbers confused. Is it 83 or 84 people that are debating 
in the first debate for the Democrats. I, mean, I don't know. They've, they've, they've got like five people actually, I guess, um, hosting. I don't know. Well, the Republicans. And by the way, to be fair, the Republicans. They had 97. Yeah, right. So so 16 was one one well, group running away with the circus, so, and now we've got a second group running away with the circus. So it's going to be three. They'll at least be three tenths. Well, the Democrat process, though, they're going to have a lottery to see who gets what night because it's over two nights. There's a d- d- 10 people each night or a max of 20, if you will. But it looks like they're going to have a lottery, but they're going to divide the people based on polling numbers because they don't want it to appear, and this was from an article, as there being a kid's table. Because if you remember, the Republicans kind of had the lesser poll people first. and then So, I mean, how did we get to this point to where this is what we're discussing 18 months out from a presidential election? And for the sake of the republic, which is what we're really talking about here, you know, we started an organization. Um, we didn't want to start an organization. We started by praying and researching and studying and, and then took the next step and then the next step. And none of the people who started the work of the roundtable of the public square were politicians. They were all business people and, uh, and families. And, and, and it, nobody, and we would be thrilled if we didn't need to be here anymore. If we could work our way out of a job, we would be thrilled. But as it is, we're laying plans for the next 40 years because we recognize what a battle it is to come back to understand what America is after it's been forsaken for so long. So unfortunately, this is a long-term battle. So when I put this in perspective, I, I be, to be quite honest with you, it's going to be very difficult for me to watch the debates It'll be very difficult for me to pay attention at all to this overinflated situation comedy that's a melodramatic bunch of nonsense on both sides of the equation because the presidency is so radically overrated. Well, and I think one of the things that we're hearing discussed is the polling numbers from a national perspective. But remember, the primary process, the national polling numbers do not matter one bit except for when it comes to your priority to sit on the debate stage because the primary process goes state by state by state. And it's all about money, momentum, and what you can do in the early states. There's one thing that the radical left, the progressives, the socialists, are totally committed to in this election cycle, and that's to keeping the House. 100%. That is their number one priority. Everything else is a head fake. Their next agenda is to find a way to take the Senate. They're only going to use the presidential campaign as leverage. If it's going well for them, they'll use it. If it's going poorly for them, they'll disassociate. But their money will not go to the top of this ticket. Their money will go to protect the Congress because those folks are not stupid and they know all the power is there. You know, later in the show, we'll get into those Senate races. We'll dive in and take a look at some of those ones that would, that would play out and have the chance to, to, to loom large in this 2020 discussion. But as I'm looking at the Democrat primary calendar, the way it is now, and I understand things can change, and that's decided by state legislatures, always trying to one-up each other. So the way it works is the National Party sets rules on delegate allocation, when you can have a primary, but they don't set the date each state has their exact primary. They say not before this date, not after that date, blah, 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 blah. But... Iowa, New York, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina all are going first. Say that again. Iowa? Nevada, New York, New Hampshire, and South Carolina will all go first. Those ones will be held in February on different days in February. So depending on momentum, depending on, you know, we know that drives donors, you want to win one of those early ones or at least have a strong showing so that you can reach out and say, hey, 
look at me. Look what I did. Iowa, New York, New Hampshire, and what was the fourth? Nevada and South Carolina. Okay, so South Carolina, the Dems aren't going to win. Nevada is a very, very critical, important state for them. So that one's going to have an uh, an out an oversized look on momentum. So yeah, they'll basically. So will New York? Yeah, yeah. That's that's. Of course, they're going to win that in the, in the general. Well, anyhow. they are, but but. Bernie's going to want to start show, a strong showing. Elizabeth right. Warren's going to want a strong showing. In California's early in the March, script writers so here are Biden going to be well. going crazy. There's going to be so much money made by political script writers and consultants in this process that it's insane. Oh, they they love every minute of it. So you're going to have in that New York primary. It's early February. You're going to have Sanders. You're going to have Biden. And you're going to have Warren all vying for that big number to move forward. And the question becomes, will there be a deal cut? Because someone's got to take that role of vice president. I know no one's talking about it. Can but, you hold on to deal cut till after the break? Um, because maybe. let's talk about the deal that didn't get cut that made Donald Trump president of the United States. Yeah, let's talk about that. After the break, you're listening to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The Answer. Bob Walgate, Dave Zanotti, back on the Bob France Authority, AM 1420, The Answer. Dave, looking at me like I broke something, maybe? No, because this is this is a piece of music that instantly the title oh. just escaped me, so I'm sorry. So, <laughs> so we're looking sorry, at Bob. resident music connoisseur, Alan yeah. C. Duncan, yeah. for, little, for, for right. a little help. I'll get that. off it. We were on Electoral College. Electoral, Electoral College. National we Conference were talking about deals being cut. We were oh, talking the deal, about the deal, the, 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 deal. the deal. And we know in the Democrat side, there's going to be a deal cut. And waiting in the wings, I will say this, I've never seen um, someone that lost an election keep traction going with dare I say, scare tactics that they believe were used in the past in Stacey Abrams in Georgia in the fact that she has kept momentum going unlike anything I've ever seen for someone that clearly lost an election and has no proof or evidence of what she claims happened in the election to suppress the vote. Yeah, but that's only for people that are watching cable news. 90% of America still doesn't know who, 99% doesn't know who she is. Right, exactly. But what scares me is that there may be people that are at the head of the line that want to continue to bring that up and recycle that story over and yeah. over and over again for more. But we talked about a deal that to be cut on the Democrat side and the lack of a deal being cut on the Republican side. And that's something that Let's we use talked that about. as an example. Yeah. Be- but, because but- there's going to be so many subplots written between now and then. And I think it's important for people to know if you, if you are a, are a master theory conspiratorialist, that you believe all of this has been prescripted like a hundred years ago or something like that. I mean, if you're, you know, if, if, if all of a sudden all you can think of is Illuminati or some, something like that, um, understand that what I'm going to say is going to bother you. And I apologize, uh, but please don't send me a lot of emails or I've done all the research. His email started, address is yeah, no, I started that research 40 years ago. The conspiracy that's real is the conspiracy of ignorance and it's a conspiracy in plain sight. It's what we don't do. It's a conspiracy of ignorance and a conspiracy of apathy. It's what we don't know and what we don't do that gets us killed. Believe me, there are more conspiracies out there than anyone could even imagine. And, and, and most of them are substantially evil. We get that. 
But the conspiracy regarding this primary process is not anywhere near as sophisticated as all that stuff that you've heard and read about. This is one that's in plain sight. This are a bunch of people that are trying to figure out how to write the script of this sitcom, of this, of this soap opera, and have their character be the endeared one that manages to get to the top of the heap and everybody likes them. This is like a high school student council race. It is so immature. It is so banal. It is so blech. That that's what we're dealing with. And when the Republicans were doing it, it was just as bad. Now, the difference in the element of all of this is who's got a millionaire in their back pocket. Because the only way to stay with the process is to have, well, actually, now you need a billionaire in your back pocket. Well, you, you need a billionaire. And you also, there's people that stay in the race longer than they should. Let's look at the Republicans in 2016. There are a number of folks that stayed in the race longer than they should because their donors told them, you need to stay in the race or I won't give you another dime for a House run or a Senate run or anything you're going to do. Or donor. Singular, or, as or, the case may be. Or donor. Yes. And here's how it worked in 16. And it's going to work the same way in 18 on the, or it's, it's going to, the same way in 20 on the D side. It's, it's happening right now. You, you get a billionaire in your back pocket like Ted Cruz had and Marco Rubio had. Two different billionaires, but they had him in the back pocket securing their ability to keep their campaigns aligned, their staff paid, and then, and, and what's to lose? These guys are senator, it's senators, it's free PR, it's all happening. It's such to the place that Rubio said he was, he resigned from the Senate, or he was, he was not going to run, and then turned back and ran because he couldn't do anything else. And and so at the end of the day, I mean, that was the decision he had to make. They couldn't do something who's to make a tell, living, but that was what he couldn't who, do it else politically. Who's going to tell these people to get out of the race? If you work on their campaign or you're their campaign manager, <laughs> you're pulling down a paycheck. Gee, so boss, you, quit. So yeah. I, can, I can go get you know, I can join yeah. the unemployment so line. You're not going to do it. The media is not going to try and squeeze people out because the more people that are involved in the race, the more the national media is selling ads and has things to so, drool over. So this isn't like jelly beans from Mally's, okay, deciding which flavors you want or don't want in your basket. That This is not this kind of thing. This isn't a student council race. This is you want to know what's really going to happen? Figure out who's got a billionaire in their pocket. They'll be the people that keep showing up and keep showing up and keep showing up and keep showing up and keep showing up. That is a huge element in all of this. Now, the deal that didn't get cut. Let's go back to 16. Let's go back to all the primary coverage that you did through iVoters and your team did out of the American Election Institute. You tracked this. You had it down. You knew the delegate counts. You knew what was going to happen on the D side, what was going to happen on the R side. And we come slamming into South Carolina. And we said, if. Donald Trump sweeps South Carolina. It was not a winner-take-all state. He had to win every congressional district and statewide. He was going to get 50 elector or 50 delegates, and we believe that was going to be the momentum. If people didn't get out and make it a two-person race there, the numbers wouldn't work for anyone to beat him. And Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz had the ability to join forces, to join constituencies at that stage in the game and to send forward one candidate from that conservative evangelical community to stand against Trump, and Trump could not have won the nomination because it would have been split. He couldn't have gotten there, and it would have at least gone to the convention at that time. Instead, they bounced each other out of the race, and the evangelical vote went to Trump. That was before 
Super Tuesday. Yep. That's how early in this process it was. And everyone said, oh, they have time, they have time, they have time. No one sat down and ran the numbers and understood that time had already ran out. You can make a historic case based on the numbers that the reason Donald Trump was the nominee was because Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio had billionaires each in their pockets and wouldn't get behind a unified agreement and keep the nomination from Donald Trump. Blame the evangelicals for letting it happen that way. You can make that case. I think there was some denial in it as well, in the sense that... uh, They were too busy being insulted. Well... You just insulted me. You, uh, you. By the way, I'm drinking some water right now. <laughs> Don't spill it on the new mics. No, it's a subtle sub message for people that pay close attention to the Rubio campaign. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> State of the Union. Rewind the Never tape. Never mind. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, but when it comes to South Carolina and when it comes to what happened, there were people in denial because no one had ever swept the state like that with all the delegates. No one knew what Newt Gingrich was the closest that had come to that. So no one believed it was reality. Then Donald Trump does it, and they still didn't believe it was reality, even though it happened. They said, oh, that's an anomaly. It won't continue to happen. And he just sat up there, combed his hair, and steamrolled everybody. And so why don't you hear this kind of conversation across most of the cable news world? Because the cable news world is built upon what the consultants tell the, the pundits to tell the hosts and the network leadership, whether it's right or left, and they repeat the same stories over and over and over again. The difference is when you do politics from the ground, when you're actually in the districts, when you crunch the numbers, when you talk to the people, when you listen to the people, you look at the voter registrations, you see the swing counties, you see the swing districts, you see the DRI momentum, and you, you talk to people on the ground, you see how this plays together. This is not anti-Trump, anti-Rubio, anti-Ted Cruz. These are just the facts of how the history unfolded. Decisions that people made in the moment they did not realize would result in the consequences that they did. Now, hindsight, of course, being 2020, let's apply it to the Democrats. They're prone to the same kind of mistakes. You put a couple billionaires in a couple people's pockets and they don't go away. Now what are you going to do? Well, and that's what people say when they look at national polls. They say, well, candidate A, candidate B, they can't, they haven't been able to get to 50%. Well, that's because you're giving them 18,000 options and you're not running it in a state-based model. Which Here's my question for you. The Democrats are always the ones screaming about a national popular vote. They're the ones screaming that every vote should count. My question for the Democrats is why don't you do your primary as a national popular vote? Why don't you count every vote of every person? And that's minute, the, 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 the Democrats aren't doing it that way in their primary? N- no, they go state by state. It's spread out over months. Why wouldn't they do a national popular vote? That's what they advocate for. If you advocate for that for the highest office in the land, shouldn't you advocate that to put up your nominee for the highest office in the land? Hmm. Now, most people, when you get to an end of a conversation like this, they end up being very frustrated, saying, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? And the reality of the matter is, I say, look at Jim Jordan. Here's a guy who opposed his party over and over and over again, ran uh, on his own constituency, if you will, building his own network, and has served in the state legislature, in the House, the Senate, and now the United States Congress, basically building his own way into the process, his own network of supporters. And I'm going to tell you right now, behind closed doors, the Republican establishment has never been in love with Jim Jordan. Never. So why don't we get more Jim Jordans? That's a question. 
And I think it's up to all of us. Wouldn't it be cool to have some Jim Jordans on the Democrat side? It would. And wouldn't it be cool if we all worked hard together in every state across the country to make sure there was representation in all of them? Is this show over? We have one more segment. Oh, do we have one more? We have one more. We have one more. I thought we were about to do music from the mask and just disappear. (laughs) We're thinking about that. You're listening to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Back after the break. I guess on the last segment, there's nothing better to do than do the final countdown, right? There you go. There we go. Rob Walgate and Dave Zanotti back with you on the Bob France Authority. One segment left. I believe that the people of Ohio have great potential to define reality for America. The Northwest Ordinance defined the next five states and in so doing defined the extinction of slavery because one of the fundamental premises of the Northwest Ordinance this is those next five states could not be slave states. They had to be free slaves, and, free states. And that's not talked about a lot. No. When the Northwest Ordinance is discussed, because we digested that one time on the Public Square radio program. Right. And we dove deep in the Northwest Ordinance. So the concept of abolishing slavery was already in play before the Constitution was adopted, and the framers absorbed that knowing that they were going to get there. And they understood. I mean, in slavery was a mistake. No one's making an excuse. Right. No, no, it was a mistake, a grave mistake that this country has paid dearly or for. Or we could add the word tragedy. We could add every bad word you want to put on the yes. side of the equation of slavery. Yeah. That's fine. But the reality is, is that the people of Ohio had a huge difference in that situation. And then after 1803, right at the time of 1803, according to McCullough's new book, he reports on how Ohio took a vote to basically change that provision as they were attempting to come into the union. And, and it was a pastor who showed up to vote. Uh, and by one vote, Ohio abstained from uh, trying to become a slave state. They had a modification proposal, and that proposal was was voted down, and they stuck with the original language of the Northwest Ordinance. My point is that when I talk about Jim Jordan, it's not personal. I'm saying the Jim Jordans of the world, the independents who can, can come from the bottom up, who will be willing to stand on principle over party regardless. Uh, those are the kind of free agents that we're looking for. Alan uh, asked a question earlier. He said, well, are you saying that only somebody with a billionaire in their pocket is going to be the next nominee or the next president? Not necessarily. We're only talking about their survivability to hang around in the race. A lot of these people are, are playing this game now to be the vice president. We may not even yet have the nominee for the Democrat Party in appearance. It may be somebody completely outside the roster right now. Or to be vice to be the vice president or to upset the apple cart so there's chaos at the convention so then an outsider could slide in and do it. So there's a lot to be yet determined in how this thing's going to end up. Well, I want to get back. You you talked about Marietta. You talked about the Northwest Ordinance. I want to get back. Is this a full endorsement of David McCullough's newest book, The well, Pioneers? I fully endorse everyone reading everything that David McCullough writes. Now, I don't fully agree with everything that David McCullough writes, but I think David McCullough, by hard work, um, by maybe some some luck and some breaks, uh, but certainly by uh, outstanding scholarship and using the gifts and skills he's been given, has become 
America's popular historian at the end of the 20th and the early 21st century. And I think his, his stuff, his books, his works are very much worth reading. And I will say that in, uh, in the, the quest to not lose what America really is, um, David McCullough ranks among heroes of people who have been willing to work their way back to founding documents, to founding characters, and try to retell the story, not from a political agenda perspective, but from a founding era source. True history has to be understood from a 100 years behind the eyes of your subject. We talk with David McCullough personally about this. This is our theory of history. That if you're going to understand the people um, like the Cutlers and others who founded Marietta and the Northwest Territory, you've got to get 100 years behind their eyes and understand the world that they came from, to understand the world that they tried to walk out. That's how true history works. And McCullough subscribes to that. And that, and he's also incredibly readable. And, and, and uh, Tom Hanks did a great job with the HBO special on John Adams. Good stuff to do. Well, I love listening to interviews with David McCullough. I always say he, you can listen to him read the phone book. Yeah. Is there phone books anymore? Maybe that <laughs> I just dated myself. Yeah. But you can listen to him read it, and it feels like there's a story to tell. Yeah. Yeah. So anytime we have the opportunity to sit with them, I know we well, and people it. can always tune into the public square or go to thepublicsquare dot com and find interviews we've done with with uh, David McCullough. And I, by the way, I say Doctor McCullough to me because he has got more um, doctoral degrees given to him by universities who basically walk up and say, "Here's the keys to the college," you know, "Here's the keys to the department." Um, he's beyond any doctoral level of accomplishment. And I also like to say he's from kind of this area. He's a Western PA boy. All right. And he came up in that era and, and people don't know that. So he's very conversant with this whole region that we're in right now. Well, when we talk about his book, The Pioneers, we talk about the Wright brothers, we talk about the things he's done. Ohio has a near and dear place in his heart. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And, and so, so, uh, this is one of the ways, by the way, that we bring ourselves back. We talked about principles, issues, and elections two hours ago. Principles. We, we, we read the founding era issues. We talk about all these issues. And there's so much more. We got to talk about the gambling issue in Ohio, the sports wagering issue. We never got to that. Bob's good. Bob, take more time off. We got you covered, brother. <laughs> take more time. You've earned it. We'll fill in. And, and by the way, people should know that when we do this, we don't do this for pay. We volunteer to do this. Uh, we, when we when we substitute us here in Nashville, in Florida, all the different places we have the privilege to do so because of relationships that we have with stations and because they get what we're doing. We don't do this for pay. We do this to bless the listeners and to affirm the host, to let them know that from people who do this for a living, you're on the right track here. And and that's what we see. And to tell you what we're seeing, we're fans of Bob's show. We listen. Yeah. We're listeners ourselves. And we, you know, Bob's a fan of Christmas in America Chris- too. Well, the front pub- row every year. Every year, yeah. Uh, Thepublicsquare.com is where you can hear us on a daily and a weekly basis. If you visit thepublicsquare.com, and we host Christmas in America this year in Northeast Ohio. It'll be on Saturday, December seventh. So mark your calendars now. You will hear about tickets available in the coming months. But Saturday, December 7th, it's a time where we go back. Don't wait. One show sells out every year. It is going to sell out. Yeah, you just just, uh, tipped it over. It is going to be one show this year in Northeast Ohio. Because Because, we've got to go to Illinois right now. Because the circus travels. And we have to find – look at Alan over there thinking, we're, we're going to Peoria, Illinois. On Sunday, December. starts in Nashville, comes to Cleveland, goes to Illinois. Yep. And every year, we go back and visit a different year in history. And last year, we went back to the 1980s, 
and um, the stories that were told that night, the Christmas card from the White House. I mean, it, it's amazing. You can visit all this in the archives. It's June, but if you're saying, you know what, I want to hear a little bit about Christmas, thepublicsquare.com backslash CIA. You can look at all the archives of our Christmas in America shows, the music, the years. But next year, we're going a lot further back in history. 1783. 1783. Yeah. Yep. The year George Washington went home for Christmas. No more spoilers. That's no it. more spoilers. You're going to hear stories. You're going to get told about that. Well, let before we before we go, you you tease something. You talked about sports wagering in Ohio. Yeah. Let's hit on that for a minute. You got two bills, House Senate version, different. Uh, uh, people say it's inevitable, it's coming. But ba 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 ba. There's all these layers of of pieces and parts that involve federal court rulings. There we are, back with the judges again. Federal laws of the Wire Act and the, the prior ban to internet sports gambling, those things are, are being eroded. So sports gaming is coming to the states. There's plays in times and time frames. Ohio now is facing joining the circus on this one because it's the old, it's inevitable. We don't have a choice. All right. The point of all of this legislation is the Republicans are at war with one another, whether the Lottery Commission should control it or whether the Casino Commission could control it or should control it, which tells you that they're really arguing about who's going to control the money and the power, and the lobbyists are everywhere. They're like flies all over the place. We saw in Tennessee 12 lobbyists show up and literally blow up the Republican legislature, and suddenly in the uh, the, the buckle of the Bible belt, sports wagering showed up, out of nowhere and got passed and a conservative Christian governor looked the other way. This is a powerful lobby. They're coming here and they're intending to turn sports wagering on in Ohio. Uh, Just a question of how long it's going to take because of the fight between the two bodies and who will have control. I'm thinking about the introduction of the Ohio lottery in the 1970s and then the amendment in the 80s that said it must go for school, for education, the entirety of it. Um, How many people do you know that say, boy, my life is – a heck of a lot better since the Ohio lottery came to our state. I mean, how many people do you, I mean, studies would say even those that hit big would say their lives aren't better because there's such a high For percentage of bankers. 22 years, Ohioans rejected casino gambling. Then the Republicans sold out. The Republican consultants and leadership uh, in the state sold out, took the gambling money, and slid a ballot issue through in 2009. And it was going to change the world and, and cure cancer and make everything better and save Ohio's economy and blah, 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 blah. Have they started building phase two of the casino in downtown <laughs> Cleveland yet? Has that, has that started? I know that was a big talk in the campaign Bottom line 10 years is ago. They never deliver on their promises because they can't because it's all baloney. We all know that. It's never a good idea for government to encourage people to throw money away. That's stupid. And this one's going to lead us into another real nightmare. The only question is, how will the pages unfold? But that will take more radio time. That will take more radio time, and that's something we do not have for today. Our our thanks and appreciation to Andrew back in the studio, Um, Dave Zanotti and Alan Duncan here with me, Rob Walgate. Um, You can hear more of us if you want to visit us at thepublicsquare.com or visit us at uh, online. You You can download us in your app store. Just search for The Public Square, the app will show up, the two-minute daily or our weekly or 60-minute weekly program. It's always a blessing to spend time with you. Thank you so much. Bob will be back tomorrow. Remember, be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Enjoy the silence.